Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of The Flight Stuff, an Alpha Flight podcast. I'm Liam O'Donnell, uh, one of your stellar hosts and editor at Cinepunks.com. I'm Adriana Gober, uh, one of your other hosts and the managing editor at Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com and uh, George Kennedy superfan. Yes. We are so excited you are back here to join us for this uh, very important uh, eighth episode as we tackle uh, issues 18 and 19 of Alpha Flight, uh, a, a very important, I think, uh, narrative turn as we are introduced to a new character who uh, will be important to the future of this comic. <laughs> uh, we're, we're so glad that you're here, and we want to thank up front all of you who have given us some sort of feedback, who've uh, left reviews, who've shown us your love, who've talked to us over social media, uh, who've uh, let us know how much you are enjoying the show. Uh, and to everyone who supports Cinepunks on Patreon, um, you all are great. We really appreciate you. Uh, one of those awesome listeners gave us some uh, some feedback. We got an email. Adriana, what's what's going on? Someone's listening, and they have thoughts about what we're doing here. That's right. Uh, so back in one of our earlier episodes, uh, I think it was episode three, when we discussed uh, Alpha Flight number six, Snowblind, we had a bit of a debate about whether or not it was realistic for Snowbird to be jailed for not showing up to work. Uh, so we received some uh, listener feedback from a fellow named Sean, and I'll read his email now. Hey, folks. I was just listening to episode six and saw an opportunity to jump in with some Mountie trivia. The RCMP is still considered a paramilitary organization. So if you didn't show up for work without an explanation, you would technically be AWOL. However, I don't think anyone would get thrown in jail over it unless something really bad happened as a result of there being no police officer on duty. Even then, there would be some sort of judicial process involved before being thrown in the who scale. Love the podcast, and congratulations, Doug, on 10 years of marriage. Cheers, Sean. Thank you, Sean. What a sweetie. What a nice thing to say. Thanks, Sean. That's really great. I really appreciate that. I liked how uh, we it, it gave some clarity, but it also... Um, uh, showed some appreciation for Doug and that you're paying attention to Doug's social media. I appreciate yeah, it's good. that a lot. Yeah. It's good stuff. I do feel like he was kind of throwing it in my face the fact that he knows more about Canada <laughs> than I do. When I'm here as a Canadian expert, I feel a little pushed back by it. Hey, look, Sean, if you want to take over, the seat's warm, buddy. You can just ca- come on. Come on, Sean. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, Sean. Cinepunks at gmail.com. Uh, we're, we're ready to place Doug at any time. Any <laughs> time he's expendable uh, actually that's not true we love it we yeah love, we love it. uh i that i do think that's interesting it, i think it is i think technically this is a we're both right situation that mm. you know as a paramilitary organization it is a wall but uh you know it is a little weird they just immediately throw her in the jail that seems strange uh here on the flight stuff we don't actually cover a lot of news there's not a lot of new things happening uh with alpha flight but sometimes it's worth bringing something up that is important and uh there's some recent uh gofundme activity related to Bill Mantlo, who uh, was one of the longest-running writers on Alpha Flight. Uh, he also created um, Rocket Raccoon and some other characters uh, that are important, maybe beyond uh, just the scope of Alpha Flight. Uh, Doug, what's what's going on with this GoFundMe? Yeah, this is one of those really kind of d- depressing stories. Uh, not So I don't want to linger too much on it, but I do think it's important for us to bring it up here. As you mentioned, Liam, Bill Mantlo is uh, really the the 
person who wrote the longest run on Alpha Flight. We'll, we'll be getting to his, uh, his work in not too long. Uh, but, uh, comics fans know that he, uh, was involved in a very serious uh, incident, an accident in 92 that left him unable to care for himself. And his brother recently started a GoFundMe to help uh, support, uh, financially support Bill's care. Uh, and you can uh, you can find that by doing a search. If you just do a search for GoFundMe and Bill Mantle, we'll also put it in the show notes. Uh, it's kind of a little cumbersome to, to actually read the uh, the URL out, but uh, we definitely hope that uh, that everyone can dig deep and, and support that. It, it's really sad sometimes to see... Um, the lack of support that a lot of, uh, comics uh, legends really, uh, get in their later years. And this is such a, uh, tragic story in a lot of ways. So hopefully, hopefully this gets, uh, funded sooner rather than later. Uh, also, you know, if you do think that comics professionals deserve better treatment and certainly in their later years to have a little bit more support, you can also support the Hero Initiative, which is, I mean, it's an organization specifically meant to, uh, to help that. Uh, and you can uh, go over to heroinitiative.org and, uh, and take a look at what, uh, what you can do to help support that cause as well. Yeah. And for those of you out there who frequent the convention circuit, a lot of writers and artists keep tip jars uh, at their table for the Hero Initiative. So just be on the lookout for that and donate what you can. I'm glad you guys brought this up. I didn't know anything about this. I had never heard of the Hero Initiative. Uh, I I knew that uh, a little bit about Bill Mantlo, but not that much. So y'all are educating me as well. And uh, it's kind of disgraceful to me that we even need an organization like the Hero Initiative, uh, because I'd like to think that uh, these folks, after the ways that they've impacted so many, honestly, millions of people, that they could live at least comfortably uh, to, to know that there are so many creators that we love who are, you know, living on the edge, who, who need help like this. It's it's really sad, and, and I, I really wish this wasn't the case, but at least there is an organization like this out there trying to uh, to bridge those gaps and really help folks who, who we care about. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I mean, we could do a whole episode just on this as a topic but you know considering that we're only a couple of days away from a certain comic book company uh releasing a movie that's likely to make a billion dollars very very quickly uh and involves characters created by bill mantlo it's kind of sad to see uh that 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 you know something couldn't be done to support uh these artists and these professionals in their their later years or or if there's some sort of horrible tragedy uh, becomes them so hopefully that's something that can change in the future yeah i i and i i'll just go ahead and say too um this is one of the reasons that if you are someone who loves comics uh occasionally give someone's uh creator-owned material a chance uh, i know it, it often is uh new and different and sometimes weird um but I, a lot of people i know who who are creating comic books you know one of the reasons you go for that stuff is because it's yours and uh if it does do well you're going to make money into the future so anyways check that out here uh initiative.org uh go ahead and be the hero according to their slogan i appreciate that a lot um and uh thank you all thank you two for bringing it up because i didn't know anything about it um so we're going to jump in here with alpha flight volume one issue number 18 from january 1985 uh Doug, do you want to tell us what happens in this issue, which is written in pencil by John Byrne? Cover, though, by John Byrne and Bob Wycheck. Uh, uh, you have here is was Bob Wycheck the anchor on this cover? Yeah, it's interesting because the the credits um, 
the online credits suggest that the cover was done by two people, and that that's a very rare thing here. Uh, so I wasn't sure if Bob Wycheck was an inker, or maybe he was finishing John Byrne's pencils or something like that. But I thought it was only fair that we were credit where credit is due. So uh, this issue, uh, the main story, or the only story, I should say, is called How Long Will a Man Lie, Lie in the Earth? Ere he rot, which uh, of course comes from, of course, comes from Hamlet Act 5, Scene 1. Uh, so this issue begins with Heather holding Guardian's costume, seemingly modeling it on herself when Peck, when Puck comes in uh, carrying some burgers. It's not a replacement super suit. It's actually just the costume, I guess, that went over the super suit itself. Um, and as Puck suggests her purpose, uh, as, so Puck is a little bit concerned about what she expects out of her new role in Alpha Flight. And she she uh, is accepting more that she's going to be behind the scenes and kind of operating it, uh, the things from behind. So with that in mind, Heather calls each member of Alpha Flight, basically telling them that Alpha Flight is still a thing. She starts with North Star, uh, but uh, when she calls a special male friend, picks up the phone instead. Uh, and when she, uh, when she eventually talks to North Star, he completely blows her off. Next, she tries to call Shaman, but he's unavailable because you might remember that, uh, he had a run, uh, a run in with his estranged daughter Elizabeth. And then we cut to those characters and the rest of the issue for the most part focuses on them. So they're investigating that mysterious screaming skull that Elizabeth dug up. Uh, and then they're distracted because they hear that a woman named Emily Stang, who's the great granddaughter of a man named Lucas Stang, was attacked by her scrambled eggs. So <laughs> uh, Elizabeth's very confused by this news because she doesn't really uh, have as much experience with the supernatural. But her and Shaman run over and they destroy this scrambled egg monster, but then discover that Lucas, uh, that the great-grandfather, has been possessed by the demon Ronak, the devourer. Uh, Shaman tries to fight off this demon, but he gets taken out. And it's Elizabeth who manifests some sort of mysterious power, which ends up blowing up the whole house, but it does leave the two inhabitants uh, intact, and they both survive. Uh, and the only other part of the issue of note is that Snowbird, uh, remember her and her burgeoning relationship with Douglas? Well, he professes his tr tr love to her, uh, and they kiss, and then she says that she loves him, but she thinks it's important for her to show him his uh, her true face, which she does, and we do not see a follow-up on that in this issue or the next one we're going to talk about today. Uh, just to clarify, it's actually the granddaughter who is possessed by Ronak the Devourer. Lucas just has some sort of powers he's about to unleash because she's possessed by Ronak the Devourer. That uh, sorry, you're absolutely correct. Uh, and I should also mention that that I call him, I called him Lucas Stang, but they they actually I don't know what's going on in this issue, but they use Strang and Stang as the last name for this family. I think there was just an error when they were uh, actually writing it. Oh, yeah, that's gl I'm glad you picked that up. I did not notice that. Um, okay, let's start off uh, with the very first thing. We already mentioned a little bit here. This cover, uh, I'm going to just say up front, I do not like this cover. <laughs> I think it is a bad cover. Adriana, what do you think about this thing? Well, now I'm curious why you don't like it, but uh, I I enjoy it. Uh, there's something about this cover that, that much... Like the cover of uh, Alpha Flight number eight, uh, it reminds me of the cover art for like pulpy romance paperbacks and like sure. uh, or yeah, like movie posters definitely. for like campy melodramas from the seventies. Like it just has this heightened sense of drama to it. Um, but what I really find interesting about it is is sort of how it is a a visual representation of 
Burns' approach to storytelling on the series, which is sort of like <laughs> jumping from character to character, and it's kind of fragmented. Um, I, I'm not sure whether that was intentional, but uh, I immediately made that connection, and I, I like it. I love that. I love that. I think you're right. And and I do have to say, I do appreciate that aspect of it. I thought the same thing that it reminded me of kind of like a pulpy, you like, like teen romance thing going on here. Um, uh, Doug, what did, you, what did you think of this cover? I'm actually leaning closer towards you, Liam. I don't like it. I, I do recognize that kind of romancy, you know, uh, even like a 60s romance comic type layout. Uh, and I do. It's kind of neat how it has those kind of three for those who haven't seen the cover, it's basically split into three sections and it has little um, uh, balloons uh, mentioning that there's a new role for Heather, a decision for Snowbird, and Shaman meets the ultimate menace. So it really does tease those three stories happening in the issue. I don't know if all of them have the same weight in the issue proper, but I also, maybe the thing I don't like about it the most is I really like the image that that goes along with the Shaman uh, story that's on the cover. And I think a version of that that was the full cover would be a lot more striking and interesting and mm. would kind of uh, beckon me to to open it and find out more about it. And maybe it's also that that snowbird image looks ridiculous. I mean, look <laughs> at her mouth is just hanging open. It's like she's going to eat his face. Um, and and the, the part with Heather just looks like – I mean, it's basically what you see on the first page again. So the kind of more striking imagery in the bottom right of that cover is something that I really enjoy. But the rest of it, I could kind of take or leave. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Doug. Uh, I love that lower image. I think that could be the whole cover. I also – the the uh, bubbles you mentioned, um, I don't like the – this is such a random thing. I'm sorry for this, y'all. I don't like the font. I really <laughs> think I don't like the font. It's it's just uh, something about it. Just when I look at it, I'm like, it it looks thrown together. I don't know why this is what we went with. Snowbird looks like she's about to either eat Doug or puke in Doug's face. It doesn't look like <laughs> she's about to kiss him. And then I, you know, I don't have a problem with the image of Heather. I just think it's it is a little. Uh, not tr- it's like you said it's literally the image that's in the comic in fact Liam, not to interrupt but it is there are parts of this image that are literally traced from the very next page i'm just going back and forth right now that that right. mirror part of it is is directly taken from that first page so that that kind of i mean we i hate that we kind of go back to the sense that that maybe john byrne is is a little bit lazy or maybe that he's not spending as much time on these things as we would like but i mean that's i don't want to see interior art on the cover i yeah I, I mean i think sort of the the joy of a comics cover is that it's this more heightened ridiculous sense of what's actually going to happen inside and it's it's a chance to go a little over the top with it and uh that's not what this is except for the shaman image but i don't know i just again I, just on a purely aesthetic level i don't love it um and like i said there's something about the 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 font in the boxes annoys me. I don't know. I want something more dramatic than that. <laughs> I don't know. It's whatever. I'm just being picky at this point. Um, but it's not. I guess also let's be clear here. I, I you know John Burns covers stick out to me. I like his covers, and so mm-hmm. th- this one is just not my favorite of 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 his covers. Um, uh, Doug, thanks again for your summary of what happens here. I want I want to just jump in right away to this question with Puck and Heather. Why do we think Puck is so intent on Heather not putting the suit on? Is this just because of Guardians 
death or is it does he just is he worried about her does he have feelings for her i i just don't know how to interpret this because it feels when i read it it read to me as a little bit demean you know demeaning or maybe not demeaning but at least not taking her seriously since considering guardian was just a nerd who put a costume on it's not like he had special strongman powers or you know what i mean like what why couldn't she do this if she wanted to um uh, I don't know if if either one of you have have something particular to say about this, but it 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 it, it bummed me out. Okay, I have a few things to say, Liam. <laughs> I mean, you're right, uh, but Guardian died because True. he wasn't very good at being a superhero, and I imagine that that might be some of Judd's concern here. But also, he's obviously sweet on her. I mean, that's. That's been clear for at least a few issues now. And, I mean, they're hanging out together all the time. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, this is obviously something that we're supposed to be aware of and at least be thinking when they have these conversations. But also, Heather has never even shown herself to have any sort of physical aptitude. Now, I'm not saying that, that we know that Guardian did before, but we don't really know that he did or didn't. Uh, we don't know enough about his kind of background before, um, uh, even in the this, this small bits of flashbacks we have, we don't know about really who he was beforehand. But uh, as I mentioned in the most recent episode of this show, the only thing we've seen physical out of Heather is her jumping into the water and really almost getting killed immediately. So at the very least, if she does get a super suit at some point, I hope she practices with it a bit before you know she jumps into the fray. Adriana, what do you think? Am I being uptight about this or was I right to be annoyed about this? I don't know. Something about this scene just didn't sit well with me. Well, my impression was just that that was James's suit, maybe just out of respect for him, like they should just shelve it. I didn't take it as like a, a form of sexism or anything like that. Yeah, I'm probably, I, I, and it's not even that I'm saying it is sexism. It's more just, I was just annoyed because I'm like, well, I don't know. I I am continuing to feel like Heather is more adapt than James was. That's how I've always felt. I will continue to feel that sure. way. So maybe that doesn't translate to wearing a, a suit that shoots lasers. But other than the way that they drew him, which was ripped for no reason, um, I don't know why I should assume James was better at this than than she would be without just obviously practice. And I'm assuming there were hours and hours of practice we didn't see of him you know, doing this. But it wasn't like he... You know, with Walter Langowski, a character I don't love, um, <laughs> we are told both two things. He is a scientist and he's an athlete. So when, you know, if he were to do things not as Sasquatch that required an athlete to do, I would get it. But we just weren't given that information about James. And I guess we're just supposed to fill it in that, like, he also was good at flying around in a magnetic suit. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why she couldn't do it if she felt like she wanted to do it is, is just my feeling. Liam, I don't know about you. I'm convinced. You're right. Walter Lankowski should be the new leader of Alpha Flight. Stop, He's an stop, athlete and a no, scientist. Again, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> I know exactly what you are saying, Liam. But I have to say, I don't think that this comic book has justified why Heather should be in any position of authority over this group up to this point. Hmm. And I understand what you're saying, Liam. You're right. She doesn't really have really any more uh, uh, reason for having that position than her uh, late husband did, but he probably shouldn't have been the leader of the group either. But at least he had the government connection, which made sure. sense. But now that there is no connection to the government, you kind of get the impression that it is it is because Puck is so sweet on her that that he's pushing this idea, which is why when she starts reaching out to members of Alpha Flight, uh, the reaction is probably pretty understandable. 
Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready for it. If she called me and I was luxuriating in the pool with my <laughs> man friend, I would respond much more positively. But let's let's discuss this scene. Yeah. Uh, uh, who 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 has something to say? I'm sure Adriana, you have something to say about this scene where uh, you know North Star is just hanging out with his buddy at the pool and he can't be bothered with Alpha. Four. It's not just there are three. So okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. There oh, he sure, has sure, he has sure. he has two dudes. So. <laughs> yeah, Northstar just has these hot guys lounging around his pool and answering his phone for him. And it, it's just what I imagine a heterosexual man in 1985 who had very little experience with gay men might imagine a gay man's life is like. So that's how we wind up with this scene. I, I don't want to contradict you, Adriana. I think the third person is a female. Do you think? Well, I'm looking at it right now, and you can see the bikini top if you look close. Is that a bikini I mean, top? I, I I just mean that it, I don't think it's as clearly a male. But uh, the bottoms are not bikini bottoms. They go yeah. down the line. Yeah, those look like trunks. <laughs> yeah, I think you're wrong. I think that's a dude. Really? And honestly, I don't I don't think John Byrne would, would illustrate a woman wearing like gender nonconforming swimwear. Yeah, I mean... I think that is fair enough. And also, this is a very strange-looking person. Yeah. I mean, this is just... Can I just say, this is just an art snafu, period. Like, that this person is barely even present in this picture in any way, you know? Okay, I will compromise and just say that he has one man with him. No, I think you're right. That's a man... I think I think the, the, the compelling argument here is that um, John Byrne would never draw a woman not in a bikini. And this is definitely not bikini bottoms. I mean, I would say that also he doesn't usually draw men with that kind of slender leg. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, again, I'm not going to uh, push this any harder. I, I just that when I read it, I thought it was clearly a woman. But now that we're talking about it, I can see how you could look at it either way. We should we should post a pic to Twitter and let the people decide. Vote man or man or woman. I, I'm going with Adriana. I think it's a man. But I do think it's also not a great drawing that that it's a little obscured by what's going on around it. Yeah, I sure. agree. Regardless, this is this is what this is the life that we're to believe that uh, uh, <laughs> North Star is living when he's not with Alpha Flight. He's in this huge house with this beautiful pool and various people just lounging around him, and he is not interested in in anything else. And he's very he's very uh, testy, right? With- Heather over the phone. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. Is this about Heather? This is what I realized reading it, and, and I'm not sure what to make of it. Is this about Heather, or is this about his sister? And and I and I don't say that to say I think it's one way or the other. I just don't know. What do you all think? Do we think this is about Heather more than his sister, or is it just the whole, without his sister, he's an interested in Alpha Flight as a whole? Adriana? I mean, he expo- explicitly says that, you know, Aurora isn't, a member of Alpha Flight anymore, so he just doesn't care what they're doing. He doesn't want any part of it anymore. But would he have done this to James or no? Probably. I mean, he didn't. He was. He didn't have a great rapport with James. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think in my mind this was about Heather, and she's not going to make it as a leader. But this is, you know, this is about his his conflict with Aurora a little bit more than that. Which I think maybe so, that's yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. but that's just the way I interpret it. And if you look back at sort of his relationship to Alpha Flight as a whole. I mean, he was always sort of just there because his sister was there and he wanted to be with his sister. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's true. All right, and then we uh, we go from there to this conversation uh, with uh, Michael Two Young Men's uh, nurse, receptionist, I'm not sure, but 
basically Heather finds out that that uh, he's he's not around. He's off with uh, uh, someone who knows that he is shaman. Now, you know, addresses him as shaman, uh, which which her and Puck, I think, have a very hilarious sort of comic book response to you know it's <laughs> yeah. that face where they're like oh no Wanna da, 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 da. you know whatever anyways um and then we get into the main part of this story uh l- l- i want to start with you doug what what did you think about this narrative around um uh lucas strang stang strang whatever it is and his uh his granddaughter emily I like the supernatural aspect, the kind of haunted house aspect of this story, but I will say that I was left a little cold with it by it until we got to the second half of the story and saw how all the two pieces kind of connect together because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I will say that this does continue John Byrne's clear affinity for Calgary, Alberta, where he uh, spent a lot of time growing up. Um, and, and we'll talk about how that kind of, um, how that shows itself in the next issue as well. I, I I like the idea of this mysterious old man and his caring granddaughter and, you know, them being stricken by some sort of strange supernatural element. When the, the eggs start manifesting themselves into a monster, it kind of it was, it felt very uh, Ghostbusters 2-esque for a moment there. Um, and I like that that when, you know, supernatural goings on are afoot, that, that Shaman is a, is a great pick. For a superhero to to check that out because he has kind of a closer relationship with that spirit realm. And, you know, hey, I'd read a whole comic book of Shaman and his estranged daughter uh, ghost busting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, me too. Totally. One of the things that I really liked about this issue is we got to see John Byrne flex his horror muscle a little bit more. Yeah. His creature design is consistently very imaginative and, like, viscerally upsetting. Mm Mm-hmm. And we see more of that in uh, issue 19. Uh, but there's just some really great grotesque imagery in this issue. And it just it makes me really want to see a horror comic from Byrne. And, like, I don't know why that's something he never really got around to doing in his career. But it just makes so much sense. I mean, he definitely brings in uh, supernatural elements into his storylines in a way that makes me think he wanted yeah. to incorporate. Maybe he doesn't see it as horror, but the art speaks about horror to me. And and, and I wanted to, I mean, we're going to jump into the, the art specifically in a little bit here. But narratively, um, the moment when they go up to check on Lucas Strang, um, and 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 this might not even count. This isn't really character design, but it reminds me of some of the design elements that you were talking about uh, in some of his other work, Adriana. That they walk into the room and it's just black ink and white, and it speaks to Strang having yeah, super high contrast. Yeah, having some source of power that even Shaman doesn't quite understand or know anything about it. It works not just aesthetically, which we'll get into more of, but narratively, right? And sure. and it leads up to the horror show that Emily becomes when she's possessed by uh, whatever his name is, Ranak, Ranak. I don't know how to say it. She's possessed by the Devourer, basically. <laughs> and it's very dramatic, the turn to the Devourer. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I don't even just mean the aesthetics of that, but like it sort of sets a tone, right? We, we've seen Shaman face... Yeah this evil uh, in the eggs, uh, but it's a completely different thing that's going on in the room with Lucas Strang. And and I think that that is one of the strengths of Burns, the, the combination of him as a writer and an artist that he can create that tension. 
Um, uh, I also felt like this is such an important moment with Talisman. Uh, well, she's not Talisman yet, but with Elizabeth uh, and with uh, sort of um, her uh, response to this uh, possessed Emily. Uh, Adriana, what what do you think? Is this a good introduction to this character? And I'm asking you specifically, I know we're not, we're not talking him into the future here, but you know a little bit more about this character, obviously, than Doug does. It, 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 how are you feeling about her introduction here to us as readers? I think it's pretty exciting. I mean... Burn gives us just enough to let us know that there's more than what we see on the surface, which is like tantalizing and intriguing, um, but also enough to sort of pump us up and to like, you know, really get into the action because uh, I don't know that fight scene that Elizabeth has with, oh, I can't remember the granddaughter's name, but she isn't even really the granddaughter anymore. She's some sort of evil creature possessed by Renak, but that battle they have is pretty awesome. Yeah, I got to agree. It, it has a lot of intensity to it. It's well illustrated. And like I said, we'll talk about the art in a sec here. But just in the sense that we feel that there's real power between them. And we really get a sense that um, that Shaman doesn't really know what's going on either. But he, can, he has some idea that there's more to Elizabeth than he realized. And then he literally throws random crap from his bag at Emily. And I say that that sounds so dismissive. I mean that to say, I think that's awesome. And it kind of <laughs> leads me to, uh, I, I don't want to ignore the snowbird stuff. Cause I think there's something to talk about there, but I just want to just say taken in and of itself, this story, you know, shaman and Elizabeth show up. There's a scary old white man <laughs> who, who, probably has pissed off some spirits in his past. They take over his daughter. You know, Elizabeth has all this power she's unleathing. Shaman has to grab random crap, random doodads from his magical bag. Bobbles. That lo- it, bob- literally bobbles. You know, it, it. some of this stuff looks like stuff he, he that, you know, it's just lint that came out of the side of the bag. Or like and your he- grandma's brooch collection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he throws this stuff. All that aspect. I think there's a cigarette in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All that aspect of this story, you know, that 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 what I just described, I think all that stuff is actually awesome. Like like when I read it, I was stoked and 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 stoked in a way that reminds me why I like Burn uh, as a writer of Alpha Flight. Uh, and so I just wanted to take a moment before we talk about the Snowbird stuff, which that is not stoked for me. Um, <laughs> how did y'all feel just about this aspect of the story? Because it got me really excited. Uh, Doug, what did you think as our ev- as our non Alpha Flight fan person? <laughs> what did you think about this aspect of the comic? Now it's a really it's a really interesting thing to to talk about because from my perspective. This character of Elizabeth has not really come out of nowhere because this has been set up for sure right from the beginning that this was eventually going to be a plot point. And, you know, good on Byrne for being able to think ahead like that. But the way that she is now being integrated into the story, it feels like it almost should have happened a little bit earlier. And by that, I mean she is the every person character who, you know, is might be a little cynical about the whole superhero thing, doesn't really know what's going on. You know, she's very basically a Harry Potter, right? She has these she she's discovering that she has these abilities that she never knew she had and that there's this whole world beyond what her um her, her perception was before and she's just being introduced to it in this trial by fire. And that's really intriguing. I mean, that's a classic story and it's very uh if not relatable, it's something that you can kind of 
transport yourself into the comic, right? Where you're like, wow, you know, this person is basically just a person like you or me, and she, you know, hates her father because he disappeared and, and after her mother died, and he has, she has this horrible relationship, and then she comes back to him, and she realizes that she's this incredibly special person with these amazing abilities that she didn't know before, and I do think that there's something something to that. Um, up to this point, at the end of this issue... I wasn't totally sold on it. By the time we finish this two-issue arc, I, I feel a little bit more comfortable with it, even if I'm not necessarily sold on the costume that we eventually get. Well, yeah, that's a <laughs> whole other discussion. Um, but I, I just thought this is a short story. Even if it didn't introduce us to the character that Elizabeth is going to be, I just kind of like this little quick thing of them doing this magical battle. And I liked the the, the creatures and stuff. Uh, Adrian, I, I got the feeling you dug it too. Is this something that you're stoked on? Yeah, like I already said, I thought that that whole action piece was great, and the the reveal of Elizabeth's capabilities still feels still feels a little bit like like Elizabeth X Machina there at the end, though, right? It's just I'm a, we don't know what she's capable. I'm okay of. with it. I'm okay with it. I I I, I really thought it was great. <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit then about the 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 thing about this issue that I don't love, which is uh, Snowbird and Doug. Uh, no offense to you, Doug, but Doug sucks. Uh, and I don't know why we have this storyline. What did y'all think about uh, this little section with Snowbird and Doug? It's uncomfortable. Yes, 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 it is. Adriana, why is it uncomfortable? I mean, we'll first start, like, Snowbird says to him, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, you know, it, it just wouldn't work between us. We're not compatible. And he responds, well, well, what do you mean? You're a woman. I'm a man. It'll work itself out. Uh, but of course, relationships don't really work like that, uh, at least if you value consent. Um, so it's not that simple. And then to further complicate the situation, Snowbird embodies what's known as the born sexy yesterday trope, which is essentially uh, when a female character through magic or other fantastical means has the body of an adult sexual being uh, but the mind of a naive child so we have a bit of uncomfortable dramatic irony at play where we as readers know that snowbird is technically only six years old uh, which (laughs) burn reiterates via a caption box so he wants us to remember this about her um, but doug doesn't know and he is trying to talk this woman child into a relationship and it's a lot <laughs> doug i know you are in conflict with adriana here because you love doug you identify with him <laughs> and you often fantasize about your life with snowbird so tell us about how you felt about this scene i mean i do feel attacked by all of this <laughs> this co- controversial talk look doug sucks he looks like a oh i'm trying to come up with a word that isn't going to be bleeped on this show he looks like a, he looks and acts like a real jerk he pulls her towards him for a kiss it, and then he's like shocked when she pulls away from him like 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 it wouldn't be completely unreasonable what he's doing i have to say i do find her reaction where she basically you know professes her love in return to him not only has it not been earned but it's kind of ridiculous how that plays out where she goes but i am not what i seem sweet douglas <laughs> As I may wear the shape of, of any Arctic creature at my will, so too is this form a construct, an imaginary shape. And I have to say, I do find that idea kind of interesting, that that her 
human shape is as much uh, a fallacy and a fake as any of her animal forms. Um, and I am curious to see what his response is to finding out that she's looks like her real self looks like a demon or an alien or whatever the heck it might look like. Um, <laughs> Does it look I, like I, anything though? Like wh- no, at this point we don't know what it looks like. It, it it just shows a shadow with red eyes, right? I mean, we don't really know, and I don't know. I am curious to find out more about that, and I I'm also curious to see if if Douglas cannot accept that. Is he going to be portrayed as reasonable or just the world's biggest jerk? Uh, and I don't know what to expect because with John Byrne, it can go either way. Yeah. Do we feel like the fact that Snowbird is also a disguise the way that – or maybe not a disguise, but, you know, like a a, a a face she's putting on the way that any of the animals are. Does that make it any better that she's a blonde-haired white lady when she's an indigenous deity? Uh, or does it actually, in a sense, make it worse? Uh, what, what do y'all think about that? I don't know if we can really make a value judgment on that. Yeah. I guess in some ways it makes it better because at least if you wanted to dismiss it, it gives you more fuel to dismiss it. But and I don't know what kind of you know I don't I don't get the feeling with this character that John Byrne is working out some sort of kink or anything like that. But uh, it's, it's yeah, still he's a not troublesome element. That they, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's really what I'm thinking here. But but I mean, if he didn't want this to be an issue, he could have not made it one by not having that as an element of the character in the first place. But I just think, I, he, don't know. I, I honestly think as much as I, uh, you know, sort of politicize it a little bit in the sense of like, you know, the, the problem of it being this white woman, I think for him, it was literally just, he thought of this character before and he thought of her as a, you know, his idea of a snowbird is going to be a very light, uh, fair-skinned blonde lady and that now that he's connected her to this larger indigenous mythology he might eventually have the thought that that was weird but it just wasn't on his mind when he created the character that's that's just my read on it but for me it is such a problem because even if it's a a mask she's put on in a sense or, or an identity she's taken up why would she choose this you know why would this be the image Considering you know the where she's at and her location as an indigenous, uh, you know deity figure, it just seems odd. But on the other hand, you know there's a lot of odd things. I guess I shouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> it's odd that I, she's attracted to Doug. That's also odd because <laughs> Doug is the <laughs> you know le- least interesting human she's met so far. I'm, I'm. This is one of those things where I all I can say is let's see how it plays out. But of course, I'm talking to two other people here who have some idea of how it plays out. Yeah. <laughs> well, not gonna say anything about that. What I will say though is that um uh I I uh despite this weird snowbird interaction, I think I enjoy this issue more than I did not enjoy it. Um, but I I will say that the art for me really doesn't explode or take off until uh <laughs> until all the stuff with shaman at the end uh i'd like to hear from y'all what did you think of the art in this issue what what did you like what did you dislike uh what what sort of stands out for you aesthetically uh on the insides of this issue i mean i already went into it with sort of all of the body horror transformation imagery sure that sure. goes on which is the i to me that's like the the high point of burns interiors on this issue like bar none and then and then later on um some of the action scenes with elizabeth 
they have a really nice flow to them. I will say that I appreciate the details on Strang's face. Yeah. Um, the grotesquerie of him mm-hmm. as this old man, Absolutely. he actually nails really well, even before he's imbued with whatever evil magics. Uh, Doug, did, did you also appreciate the, the sort of uh, grotesque stuff in this issue? Were there other things that stuck out to you or anything that you thought was uh, uh, particularly bad? I, nothing. I don't think there's anything that's particularly bad. I mean, you're absolutely right, Liam. It, it, it all feels very, very standard until we get to those kind of supernatural elements near the end. I do want to give it one shout out to that image of Shaman encountering the scrambled egg monster. Yes. <laughs> and reacting as anyone would with somewhat surprise of this creature that is attacking him. Um, I like that that concept, that egg monster is so strange and out there and that's the kind of thing that I think we could use more of in, yeah. generally in Alpha Flight. It's kind of these really, you know, embracing your imagination, going really strange with the ideas, you know, not being tied to a lot of the natural element stuff that we've been spending a lot of time with so far. Or even, you know, I, I, I've stated in, in past episodes that I really like the kind of down-to-earth stories. But to me, it's like if you're going to go wacky and supernatural – Go all the way. And that's what it kind of fe- felt like when you saw this battle between, you know, this, this master, uh, uh, of, of certain magics against the scrambled egg monster. And like yourself, Liam, I really do love that art, that stark white, the shadows on the face at near the end. Ever since the, the snowblind uh, issue that we talked about, uh, we've discussed about, you know, kind of these choices regarding, you know, backgrounds and how Byrne uses that sometimes. I will say that this might be the most effective way of doing it uh, yet uh, in that it really puts really – it really puts a lot of attention on this character's face, on the words that he's saying at the exact moment where that's most appropriate. So, yeah, I really like the art uh, once things kick into high gear. And in some ways, the fact that it's sort of – pedestrian is the word I'm going to use – in the first half, it makes the second half stand out all the more. Yeah, I agree, actually. I was thinking that um, even though I criticized it initially, it does kind of work as a setup. I also want to point out the full page on uh, page 15. We see the explosion in the house, which mm-hmm. we're told is not a literal explosion, but you know the, the release of energies from the egg monster. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that And it's page. so good with the, with the houses all black and then the orange of the eggs and the sort of pinks underneath. And whew, I, I just, it's... It's it's poster worthy. Uh, I don't think anyone would get a poster of the egg monster exploding, but uh, yeah. but I but I would uh, but I would put it on a poster because it's that good as a piece of art. And I like the texture of the eggs too. Yeah. Like he makes them look nice and fluffy. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I do think that uh, sometimes I don't personally give John Byrne enough credit for his the way that he presents architecture and the way that he sure he, and that he really varies it up and is able to get a lot of detail in there. And, you know, considering that I sometimes uh, bemoan the fact that his backgrounds are not as detailed as I would like in a, in a picture like this, where you can see how much detail, especially with the foreground elements yeah, uh, that yeah. he's put in there. It really is really impressive. I think it's a, it's a amazing image. I really, I really appreciate it. So uh, before we move on to issue, number 19 here uh we have these letters uh sections on these comics and sometimes they are not so interesting and sometimes they're an interesting uh historical narrative as to how people were responding to these comics i'm sure the response we don't always get all the interesting letters but 
in this issue, there's a response from someone who was very upset about uh, the way that Guardian's death was handled. In fact, they took it as a matter of national pride. This was a pretty controversial letter at the time, notably. I mean, you'll see that when people talk about this particular issue of Alpha Flight, they always bring up this letter because it is a lot more forceful than what we've seen so far, even in regards to things like Snowblind, where you could tell from the letters column that there was a mixed response to it, but none of the none of them were too passionate. This one, whatever you might think about it, there's definitely some force behind it. So it says, Dear Mr. Shooter, I'm so mad right now I could burn an American flag because you Americans think it's fun to spit on and desecrate our national symbol, the Canadian flag. First, when you made Guardian, I felt proud that Canada had its own Captain America. The other characters didn't matter much. They were just lucky to be with him. <laughs> you people think just because your country's older than ours that it is better. Let me tell you, we know more about being proud of our national heritage than you do of yours. There are a few things that we know how to do better than you do. We never slaughtered the Indians or treated them and the blacks like they were cattle. I don't know if you guys keep in touch with what's going on up here, but our government's going to help the Indians develop their own national self-ruling government. Let me see you guys do that. Ha ha. There are a few people up here besides me that are upset that you killed off Guardian. I'm speaking for them. I hope for the sake of this comic that you will see the error of your ways. And this is from Corey Daniel K. Caponero. Uh, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, Liam. Obviously, this is a long time ago that this letter was written. Uh, but in some ways, the fact that it was a long time ago makes the certain hypocrisy on display in this letter, uh, letter all the more uh, clear. Yeah. I mean, the treatment of the indigenous peoples in Canada by the Canadian government in the 1980s was horrific, and it's mm-hmm. horrific in 2019. And and the, the idea that... that I, I I do know that a lot of Mer- of Americans, I know not the two of you, and certainly uh, a lot of our listeners probably not as well, but there are still a lot of Americans who think of Canada as this kind of progressive place where a lot of these, uh, the, the darker elements of American history did not exist. But the fact is, we have our dirty secrets up here. They just happen to be a little more hidden, probably because they're not in the American history books. But uh the the mistreatment and the mass murder and i mean it's all here and not just with indigenous peoples though they certainly got the brunt of it and still do up here so it's it's cory was very upset i can see how upset americans would be if you killed off captain america or say made him a nazi or something like that's something ridiculous that no one would ever do uh but (laughs) but i do think that i think cory might be going a little overboard here but uh, it's an overreaction like a ridiculous and, overreaction. <laughs> and the fact that he's so dismissive of all the other members of Alpha Flight, including the indigenous one. Hey, you know, the ones that we treat so well up here. Uh, it, it it seems like a character. It seems like a person who really was invested strongly in a character that maybe never really deserved that investment in the first place. But uh, I guess you can't knock the fact that someone had such a visceral emotion, emotional reaction to what's going on in the comic. It was supposed to be impactful when Guardian died, and for this guy, it really was. I mean, it it is... The irony here is that I thought the way that the death of Guardian was handled was meant to play off people liking the character. That this was not uh, a guy who just was like, oh yeah, the, then there's an explosion in the difference in the distance. I guess Guardian's dead now. Who cares? Like this was a moment that was played rather emotionally, I thought. Um, and and for me, it is more of a mixed bag because I don't like the character, um, and that has nothing to do with Canada or his Canadian flag. But I just felt like James Hudson was never very well written, um, and and 
the pride and the character expressed by Corey seems to be related to Canada and not to James Hudson. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's and, nationalism that's at the core of this, which is not yeah. something that I'll ever appreciate too much. Yeah. I will say that Marvel's uh, or Jim Shooter's response to this pulls out the John Byrne is a Canadian card, <laughs> which Stop. I mean. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they make him different in Calgary. All right, y'all, let's move on to Alpha Flight Volume 1, issue number 19 from February 1985, written and penciled by John Byrne, cover also, here's a surprise, by John Byrne. Remember that ancient evil that we just discussed with the eggs and the old man and all that? Well, Shaman decides that he needs to nip that in the bud, so that means he needs to travel through time. So the evil force has something to do with Lucas Stang, the older man from before. So Elizabeth, uh, Puck, Snowbird, and Shaman travel a 100 years into Calgary, Alberta's past to discover the origin of the evil. So, But first, uh, Snowbird bows to Elizabeth, uh, Shaman's daughter, recognizing her true power. And Shaman has her, Elizabeth, reach into his medicine bag and pull out a tiara, which transforms her clothes and will... We'll talk about what that looks like in just a little bit. Anyway, they go back to 1884, where Shaman magics up some period-appropriate clothes for the group, and they run into a bandit named Zebediah Chase and a very young Lucas Stang, uh, who are forcing an indigenous man to call forth Ronak uh, by holding his granddaughter hostage. So both Zeb and Lucas, they're wearing these medallions that protect them from Ronak's uh, evil magic. And Zebediah basically demands from this uh, ancient god, or whatever he is, the devourer, uh, he demands money, women, and power. Ronak, however, tricks Zebediah by telling him that he can only enjoy the riches uh, if he takes off the medallion, which, of course, Zeb being an idiot does. And Ronak immediately takes over his body, uh, just like he, he does in the uh, previous issue that we just talked about. So Snowbird, at this point, runs in uh, and is immediately taken out. <laughs> Not very useful. Uh, and once again, Elizabeth shows her new magical skills, and she fights off the demon long enough for Puck to convince Lucas to turn his magic necklace into a bullet, which he uses to shoot uh, Zeb, uh, who basically has Ronak in him in the head. Uh, then they have Lucas bury Ronak in the exact same spot that Elizabeth later excavates him during uh, where she finds the skull uh, in, in present day uh, and to create sort of a history loop. So it's a closed loop. And the issue then ends with Snowbird branding Elizabeth as talisman, saying that she must practice with her newfound magical abilities. All right. Uh, let's start with this cover for issue number 19. Uh, Doug, what did you think of this cover? Well, I mean, this if, if you don't know if Talisman is supposed to be a big deal, this makes it pretty clear. It, 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 it's pretty much just her um, in her in full garb. Uh, and uh, it does show the look on her face compared to how it is in the uh, issue proper is one of a lot more confidence. You see kind of the other characters in the background in awe. It's kind of weird, like the 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 uh, land that we see here, I should say. It, it doesn't look like the Calgary, the, even the the eighteen eighty four Calgary that we have in the issue. It almost looks like a different planet that that she's on. But I mean, this is basically introducing Talisman. It's it's text on the page. That's exactly what it's all about. So um, my feelings are based entirely around what I know about that character, which is very little, and what I see with this costume, which I don't particularly care for at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on with this costume or why she seems to be doing ballet moves. <laughs> right. But other than that, yeah, I agree with Doug. Like, I think this is a pretty bold introduction to the character. 
She looks a little Wonder Woman-y to me on this cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the color scheme of her costume definitely recalls Wonder Woman, and she has that tiara. Mm-hmm. I It's hard to evaluate the cover for me without talking about just Talisman's uh, outfit. Because my issue is... Why does she have heels? She has heels. (laughs) And I thought maybe that was a mistake, but I went through the rest of the issue. She definitely is wearing these heels the whole time. Um, And it's very revealing, the outfit. Um, And it certainly doesn't speak of anything particularly uh, indigenous. Um, uh, And I don't really understand the outfit. As far as the design of the cover itself, yeah, I mean, it's got, you know, this green behind her, and I like she's doing something purple power out of her hands. Uh, I Again, I don't... Adriana, you're right. What is this ballet? She's she's doing a pirouette? What is happening? I don't know. It's more like a jeté. <laughs> sure, sure. It's just an excuse to show you... The, the, the irony of the outfit is that it's long in the middle and scant on the side, so you get the full of her hips, and this move allows you to get the, the idea of how that works. Why is that what the outfit is? I don't know. It's like one step away from like a Vampirella costume. I mean, it's a big arrow pointing towards the naughty bits. Yeah. I mean, is it one step away or is it basically a Vampirella outfit? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't. And it's Who I, wore it best? It's 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 frustrating because I feel like... Um, I Vampirella feel like doesn't is, have those sleeves. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like this is a character who has a lot of interesting potential as an extension off of uh you know the sh- the, the shaman mythos which I've, I've i think there's a lot of potential there as well i like more of a magical character i'm into so it's it's frustrating to me that i i think the outfit doesn't work and when i was a kid i i'm sure i loved it because i was just like whoa you know but as an adult i'm like this is it's dumb it's impractical and dumb and it doesn't make sense and there's no narrative reason for it there's no narrative reason for this outfit especially the heels why does she have heels it doesn't make sense <laughs> okay I, I also don't like that it doesn't seem to fit with her father's costume they're they're like they don't complement each other very well no no i don't design wise it's its own thing I mean, it kind of represents Elizabeth's desire to stand apart from her father, or maybe sure. I'm just like reading way too into it. But I mean, that gives it something. Uh, so here we go with with time travel. This is something we haven't had yet in our in our adventures with Alpha Flight, um, and it, it's time travel that uh, you know. Spoiler alert. Apparently doesn't mean anything. Um, uh, Adriana, what did you think of this narrative choice that we went on this whole adventure that we were always going to go on and that doesn't really affect the story in any way, maybe? I don't, I don't know. What, what did you think about this, the, nar- the narrative of this issue? Well, it's very much of a piece with a lot of other story arcs we've seen in Alpha Flight where they seem to be making progress towards something, but then by the end of the issue all of that progress is completely undone inexplicably. So I wasn't really that shocked by how the story resolves. It's it's a very alpha flight resolution. <laughs> One thing I found a little bit confusing about the logic of this issue, maybe logic isn't the right word, but for lack of a better term. At one point early on in the story, Elizabeth refers to all of the sort of magical goings-on that they have experienced as 
the occult, which kind of gave me pause. Like, I, are we supposed to infer that, like, the occult and esoteric knowledge are on some sort of continuum with, like, indigenous mysticism? Like, it seems like there are conflicting ideas that Byrne is trying to reconcile into, like, a single mythology, which is, this is not the first time we've run into this issue, but it just doesn't really play for me. I think you're exactly 100% right. I mean, we saw him already make that comparison to, like, the abilities of Doctor Strange, and I think he just wants, yeah. he wants Shaman just to be, he's a mystic, so he can t- touch into anything, but the thing is, the mysticism that he's touching, or, 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 or particularly with the medicine bag that they're referencing here, is something that's real and that that people have a lot of um, very intense feelings about. And I feel like there's you got to be really careful with what he's trying to do here. Is that though? This is my question, and I, and I I think you both would have some experience to answer this. Is this Burns' problem, or is this a Marvel Universe problem? I I I just feel like, um, you know. Th- in Marvel, uh, and I won't speak to DC because I don't know it well enough. In Marvel, there is science, and then there is magic, and magic can apply to every religion other than uh, uh, very specific Christianity. And even then, some Christian characters can occasionally p- be pulled in for hijinks as well. You know, so y- you'll never have Thor butting up with Jesus, but we got to have a version of the devil or other sort of devil-related characters. And any other religious tradition, we can pull anybody out to turn them into a cape superhero, regardless of what their function is in the actual belief system that we're taking them from, let alone then smushing that together with Doctor Strange and other, you know, sorcerers and then witches and then, uh, you know, shaman and... Uh, priests of various other you know made up religions as well as real in other words it just feels like everything that's a belief that's not literally actual uh christianity can at some point be used as a quote-unquote magical narrative tool and and i mean that as broadly as possible you know that if you look across marvel you're gonna have golems you're gonna have stuff related to uh ancient kabbalah that there are a lot of different religious traditions represented and i'm sure if you looked long enough back back maybe you would eventually find jesus as well all i know is that in my history i never read anything that literally had uh uh jesus walking around but as far as other religious beliefs, it seems to be pretty common that anything can be used as a narrative grist if it's if it's not too close to us. I don't know. Is that is that am I reading that into it or what? I, I think I, I think I, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I just think that common or no, it feels like Marvel was able to do that with marginalized groups and religions. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. And and I don't think that they go as hard on Christianity in regards to that. And I think that's kind no, of notable. Not at all. And you're right. It's probably not John Byrne's fault that there's a tradition of this already. I mean, you know, you can always say that he had the responsibility for the buck to stop there, but maybe there could be all sorts of reasons that we're not necessarily aware of. Uh, I will say that while we're getting outraged on the behalf of others, I, I do think there's a lot of irony in the fact that this whole the plot of this entire issue is about uh, you know, indigenous people going back and saving people who literally stole the land that they're going back right. to. Um, and, and even the idea of, of, of celebrating the centennial of this city of Calgary, which, I mean, there were literally generations going back to 
like thousands of years of indigenous people on that exact same land that was stolen from them by colonizers. So it's, uh, it, it is, it, it, there's some elements to it that don't sit right for me. No. And I, I certainly don't mean this as a defense of burn, uh, because I think that, uh, using specifically indigenous things so loosely and with so little care when talking about Canada isn't in and of itself a, a, a very specific problem uh, with very specific residences because of that context. Um, but I would say that it is also a problem that the rest of the company shares with things that are either more problematic, I would say, with some of the uses of voodoo as an automatically Absolutely. negative evil thing. But in some cases, obviously less problematic. I'm sure there were no Nordic people reading Thor going, I'm very offended right now. Um, it just wasn't as uh, as sharp of an issue because it wasn't related to a, a lifelong or a, rather a, a long history of uh, oppression and violence and subjugation related to racism as well as to uh, xenophobia and colonialism and, and, and obviously also Christianity's view of other religions as not being real in the way that Christianity is. That's all there as well. I also want to lift up that I, if, if, if we were just covering 18, my inclination was to say, I like Lucas Strang as like, all old white men with money are evil in some way. So like <laughs> Lucas Strang is just, the, here we go with his, uh, but then we get to issue 19 and we've got two indigenous characters saving this idiot, you know, knowing full well that like what's going to happen now. Granted, I mean, it's not about saving him. It's about fighting Ronak, but it is, it is, it was a bit of a bummer. I was kind of like, yo, deal with that Lucas dude now, you know? But, you know, they couldn't do that, obviously, because of this thing with, with time travel. Um, I do want to come back to the time travel question only because I guess I'm, I'm just wondering if Shaman never intends to change history, is his intent in going back just to understand the situation more? <laughs> or, or because... I don't know. I just, I just don't know why any of these things happened, and it, and I don't need to actually. Um, I I think actually I I still kind of like this story. I don't love the time travel to the old west just in general. It, it feels hokey a little bit to me. Um, but but I don't hate the story for that. But I was kind of wondering why did the story exist? Did, did either one of you want to try to answer that, or do you think I'm being silly to even care about it? Oh, you're not being silly. You're, that's a that's a very reasonable question. I mean, in the in the context of the of issue eighteen that we just finished, what did the older version of Lucas Strang think happened in his own history? It didn't involve obviously it didn't involve Alpha Flight, or he would have made some. You would have thought he would have made some reference. Maybe not. I mean, yeah. he is pretty much uh, silenced before that that the opportunity ever uh, uh, comes up. But uh, but like, how did history play out in that version? That had to be kind of fixed by by the group going back. I mean, I, all you can really interpret it as is that Shaman has a, um, a a stronger sense of what the right path of history is supposed to be, and somehow having that demon in the present day has has reverberated through history. So they have to oh. kind of go back to nip it in the bud and and create the situation to basically patch up reality or patch up the timeline. Uh, and I like that kind of thing, but you're right; it's not explained very well. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm. I just wasn't 
vibing with it but a little more explanation for someone like me that when it ended i'm like so why did we do that again i mean it was very (laughs) useful for forcing elizabeth to be talisman something that she didn't seem to have much of a actual educated say in yeah but uh but uh but other than that i just didn't understand how it focused how it functioned narratively i guess um. So, what do you what, what you know? We've kind of danced around a little bit. What What do y'all think? Is this was this a fun issue? Did you did you did you like this story? Uh, I gotta say, I did like the Ranek design when he was just a giant floating face. I kind of liked the floating face a lot. What did you think? Uh, if If you were gonna tell someone like this issue was cool, this issue wasn't cool, Adriana, is this one that you're saying like, yeah, you should read that one, or I don't know, it's it's just fine. I mean, I'm a sucker for time travel hijinks. Yeah? Oh, that's great. Uh, Doug, what do you think? What, what did you think about this story? Well, I like that this is the closest we've come in recent memory to Alpha Flight. Yeah. You know, as a group going together and doing something. And this is the kind of story that you kind of expect out of a, you know, every once in a while, like the Avengers will travel through time or the X-Men will travel through time and have this kind of uh, uh, self-contained adventure like this. And I, I like it. I like the idea that 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 they're doing this and we can see characters interact with each other. Um, and and I actually do kind of, even though I've already commented on the, the problematic elements of it, I do like that this is sort of designed around this centennial thing and it's also this closed loop that they're talking about. It's actually kind of a neat way of celebrating an anniversary in some way where it's kind of a, a thematic element in the story itself. I'm also a huge fan of Westerns, so I love the Western element of it, even if I don't think this the, the, the version of Calgary that we're seeing in here necessarily reflects reality in any particular way. But, you know, reality is always has to take a backseat to an entertaining story. I like that it's kind of like a... Um, a fable, sort of, you know, the 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 cowboy who calls, uh, forces a, an indigenous person to call forth a god so he can get riches, but then you know he's he's tricked by this guy. I mean, I think there's a real kind of fun element to that, and it does kind of uh, going back to what we've already talked about. It does kind of play into that classic. Um, uh, like Twilight Zone-ish or o- old EC Comics type horror story where, you know, you get your just desserts from from greed or, or some avarice or something along those lines. So I really did like those kind of elements. It did seem sometimes that Alpha Flight were kind of taking a backseat to the story that was being told. Hey, but I'm fine with that as well. I still don't know what Snowbird was doing there necessarily. Yeah, this is becoming a theme with Snowbird, and and I I wish that wasn't the case. Um, Let's talk about the art. What did y'all think about the art in this issue? We already, me and Adriana already mentioned that we liked the scary floating face. Uh, Did anything else stick out to you, Doug, about the art in this issue? I mean, I do like, again, the architecture, because this is so different than what we've seen uh, John Byrne uh, draw up to this point in terms of the kind of the Old West style town. Um, and I, and I like the fact that it's at night and you kind of get the, the, that real sense that, that this is something that is kind of going on in the background in the dark at the time. And of course, once those grotesque elements pop in and you see the devourer's face, like you mentioned already, and you, uh, and you get to see kind of that creature interact with these people, it gets really cool, but nothing's better than seeing um, you know, that that face reveal where it's just that big gaping mouth. I, I love that sort of thing. And there really is something really grotesque when that mouth chomps down on uh Zeb's face uh and, and then basically uh takes over his his body as well. I do want to give one it 
one uh I just want to point out one other thing, which is that when Zeb gets his head blown off, uh it's pretty graphic. I mean it's it it's done in they change the color and, and they they don't show anything in, in too much detail, but in terms of uh, a Marvel comic showing someone get shot in the head and their brain splatter. It's a little more graphic than I was expecting. Yeah, I feel that. It's it's a little bit more than I was expecting either. Adriana, other than the awesome gory head, did anything else stick out to you about this <laughs> issue? I appreciate Burns' uh, attention to detail as far as like the period wear is concerned. Uh, I gotta say... I don't know if I've done this before. I, I've had specific complaints before. This is the this is I think the first time where I want to point out very specific things and say I don't like them and I don't know if I'm being weird uh, and I want to get your feedback. Sure. So the first page, Shaman is uh, casting a spell, um, I guess to sort of figure out what's going on with time. Uh, what's going on with his face? It looks weird to oh, me. Oh, yeah, the shading um under his nose makes it look like he has a mustache. <laughs> then on the next page, at the bottom of the page, uh, Shaman again, his face looks a little weird to me. Oh, but on page one, also look at Heather. <laughs> yeah, no, same thing. Like, in other words, this is the first. This is the first one I can remember. First Alpha Flight issue I can remember where there are places where things in the issue look weird to me. They look not quite balanced or I don't know if it's, if it's his art or the inks, but like, let's say, uh, three, four, uh, page four, um, at the top, uh, both Elizabeth looks weird. And then there's a panel with shaman and puck and they both don't look normal. Yeah. A lot of the characters look like off model throughout the issue. Off model, yeah. And 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 that happened throughout this issue, which is so weird because the detail on some of the faces of the characters who are not regular characters. So these are characters who we never have seen before is actually really good. So yeah. the two cowboys, it's really good. The the um indigenous fellow who is floating in the air is good. Obviously the scary face we've already talked about. There's a bunch of places where um new characters are really good. And standard characters that should just look the way they always look, look off. Their proportions are off. They're a little <laughs> weirdly shaped. And that's the thing I'm used to in comic books. Like, I just get used to that happens sometimes where things don't look. I'm not used to it that much from Burn. Like, I just feel like he's usually pretty consistent. The one exception we've always pointed out is that he could not understand Northstar's hair. That, <laughs> And that's why Northstar's hair always stood out to me is because everyone else is usually pretty good. And then Northstar's hair just grows or shrinks or whatever. Um, this issue, I just felt like there were a few places where they looked weird in a way that that didn't that sort of stood out to me. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, I have one more comment, I, Liam. Go ahead. This is about something that we don't usually talk about, which is the coloring on the issue. Mm-hmm, Specifically, mm-hmm. boy, I have to be careful what I say here. When it comes to the coloring on the indigenous characters, there is clearly a red tint to their skin color uh, when it comes to yeah. Shaman, right? If you see Shaman next to uh, one of the Caucasian characters in the... I mean, it's clear that the skin color is different, and that is the same for Elizabeth as well, and when we have when they go back in time for the indigenous characters there as well. The, 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 I'm going to set that aside for a moment, and the uh, <laughs> and, and the, the complex feelings I have with that, but I just wanted to bring it up because Elizabeth on the cover is 
does not have that tint at all. Uh, it, it, it seems like they have intentionally not tinted her skin the color that she has in the rest of the uh, issue, which I thought was an odd choice and perhaps a little telling. A little telling. I didn't perhaps. notice that, but you are absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's only it's only noticeable because they make such a point of it the rest of the comic to make sure you see that her and Shaman are tinted red. Yeah. Which is a poor choice. Um but they do it uh and that's fine. Um I think we have complicated feelings about that. Uh but the fact that they make such a point of it over and over and over again to not do it on the cover is a very strange choice. And it makes me wonder if this is an idea that like it'll sell better if she isn't or something. That's exactly where my mind went. Some kind of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. uh, I don't want to say it like just straight out because we, we can't say it with any certainty, but it is very curious. And I think it's worth pointing out. It's, it's hard because I think that this is where we're at with this comic and these issues and and it's only going to get more complicated which is that on one hand it's not like there's all of these other representations of these characters that are killing it everywhere else and so it's like oh man the thing about Alpha Flight is like it's not as good as this other comic book where indigenous characters are like really handled well and their their narratives and their histories and cultures are all handled really well and and Alpha Flight's the outlier. I think Alpha Flight is sort of in line with a lot of what's going on and sometimes seems even a little bit better than some of the other things going on. I mean, keep in mind, Super Friends was on TV around this time, right? And they had uh, the big chief character wasn't exactly uh, an an encouraging representation either. Uh, I think Super Friends was before Alpha Flight. Yeah, it would have been well before at this point, right? Oh, really? It wasn't still on TV at this point? Maybe in syndication. I think that it was... uh, Oh, ugh. I, I think they changed the name at that point, but they dropped that character. I oh, think. good. Well, because I hate that character <laughs> since since <laughs> I was a, since I was a kid. Okay, so it ran from seventy three to eighty six. Oh, so it was what was the, I thought it was still on the air, but they probably weren't using Big Chief at that. I think they changed though, the probably. name to Challenge Just, of the Super Friends at some point in the eighties. Oh, uh, okay. All right, they I know they incorporated Cyborg more in the eighties than in the seventies, but whatever, doesn't matter. Point being that. On one hand, I think Alpha Flight is not some sort of outlier, whatever. On the other hand, I just can't just not acknowledge that these things are a problem um, and that and that it's complicated. Yeah. And and this is one of this is a complicated issue, Um, you know, uh, at, at least to some extent. The cowboys are the bad guys that, you know, like or at least the idiots who start off the thing. Sure. But. But that's sort of the best I can say about it overall. And at least, you know, there is some sense of like these are characters who exist and whatever. But how are their stories being told? And, you know, I don't love I don't love that this is how we're introduced to to Talisman in some ways. But in other ways, I know it's consistent with where we're sort of going with the character. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, But I will say that uh, this issue for me, I think I had a little less fun with it only because I just don't care about the, like, going back to the, well, I, I was about to say the Old West, but I guess it's not the Old West, right? Like, is it West in Canada? Is, is that the West? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, do, I mean, I will say that people from Alberta thinking themselves, okay, I don't want to talk generalization, but I will say that there are, 
there's a segment of the population in Alberta who think of themselves as cowboys. They wear the cowboy hats. They have the Calgary Stampede, right? I mean, this is still a part of their culture and a part of how they see themselves. So the, the old style, old west uh, aspect on display here fits right into that kind of character. And I guess considering this is sort of dedicated to them on their centennial and all this stuff, it could have been a lot more ridiculous. Like this was actually the, probably the best way of doing it, but still it was, it was, it was for me, uh, maybe a weird issue. I'm glad y'all maybe enjoyed it a little bit more than I did, but okay. So, Hey, thank you for listening uh, to this uh, episode. We hope that you will come back and join us again here as we move forward. Uh, We're going to be doing issues, I think 20 and 21, Uh, but we're so glad you joined us here. Uh, If uh, Adriana, they want to find us on Twitter. What what is our Twitter again? Our Twitter is flight stuff pod. And what if they want to follow you on, on the Twitter? Uh, You can follow me at EADXBB. How about you, Doug? What if, what if someone actually wants to know what you think on the internet? Liam, you can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And I'm constantly posting about all my other projects there. So, yeah, follow me. See what's up. And do us a favor. Check out uh, Cinepunks.com. That's uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. We have a variety of podcasts and writing there. Uh, If you are interested in writing for Cinepunks.com, hit us up uh, at Cinepunks, also with an X, at gmail.com. And follow us on the social medias, at Cinepunks on Twitter and Instagram. And the Facebook is backslash Cinepunks, all P-U-N-X. We would would love your support. And go ahead and, uh, you know... uh, rate review subscribe all that stuff uh we we only can grow with your support and we appreciate all of you for for listening uh but uh all that said until next time flight stuff out